Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sarah Uncensored. I am your host, Sarah Allspaugh. And today I'm going to be talking to Sterlin Luhan from thepsychologicanarchist.com. And I found Sterlin's episodes or YouTube episodes a couple months ago. He has one that's called I Want You to Be an Anarchist that I think came through my Twitter feed and got my attention. And I've been following uh, his Facebook page and website ever since. So today I get to talk to him and we get into all kinds of stuff. He starts by telling, you know, kind of how he got into his anarchist movement and spreading the psychologic anarchist message. And he tells a story of um, his experience with the drug MDMA. And I actually just found a news article that I read recently about MDMA, and I wanted to share kind of an update on the drug for you guys. If you're not familiar with it, MDMA is also known as Molly or Ecstasy. It's often used as a party drug. People think like raves and stuff like that, but it's also come into like a therapeutic limelight in the last couple years. And that's what Sterling really talks about from his experience from a more therapeutic perspective. And so right now it's still schedule one at the DEA's controlled substance schedule. And so they are studying it though. The government has part three of like a three-part whatever controlled study right now. So they are doing some work on it and it looks like the government is kind of interested in seeing if this could help people suffering from PTSD, specifically our vets, uh, veterans. So it's good news that this is being looked at because really all it is is from what I can tell, it just seems like a really high dose of or a really strong antidepressant. And it's maybe something people don't need to take every day, but it sounds like it's been very beneficial in couples therapy and just in therapy in general. So this sounds like it could really be therapeutic and beneficial for people as you'll hear with Sterling's story. So I really appreciate him sharing that with us. So hopefully you guys will enjoy that. And we also just kind of talk about compassion and anarchy in general. And these are all things that I've been getting more interested in, you know, the last couple of years as my political knowledge has broadened and shifted. And I guess I've been feeling this way for probably close to 10 years now. So I shouldn't say the last couple of years. It's been a good part of my life. So I'm happy to be able to share this information with you guys. And I'd love to hear what you're thinking. So you can get a hold of me. You can find me on Twitter at Sarah Allspaugh, or you can email me at sarahuncensored at gmail.com. And I would love to uh, hear what you guys think. And thank you so much for listening. Here we go. Today I'm talking with Sterling Lujan. He is the founder of psychologicanarchist.com, whose mission is to coordinate a group effort for the synthesis of voluntarism, neuroscience, and psychology, maintain and promote unrestricted and unapologetic sovereignty, create a thriving community of emotionally savvy relationship-oriented anarchists. Sterling shares this message of compassionate anarchy on his website, YouTube, Facebook, all over the web. He's also a contributor to the art of not being governed. Welcome, Sterling. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hey, thanks, Sarah. I appreciate that. Looking forward to our conversation today. So let's get started with a little bit about your background to kind of get to know you better. Um, can you tell us, you know, what got you started in this? What was it that, you know, kind of quote unquote, how you found anarchy and what got you into starting to spread this message? Sure. I appreciate you asking that question. Now, this is it's kind of a long story and I'm going to start at one part briefly explain one part of how I got started on this path, and then I'll get into more detail about the more important part. Okay. The first, the, the first part of my story starts on a day when I tried MDMA, the drug called ecstasy. Mm-hmm. 
prior to this moment in time, I was not, I was not really thinking at all. I wasn't really considering anything beyond the immediate moment. Okay. I was, I sort of felt like I was in a trance. It's what some psychologists have referred to as consensus delusion. And I feel like I was actually in that state of mind, didn't really care about the world, only cared about my immediate surroundings and only vaguely cared about that as clouded thinking. Mm-hmm. And and then on on one day, a buddy of mine invited me over to his house and he said, look, I got something for you. I want you to try this. And I said, what is it? He said, just come over. I'll show you. You'll love it. <laughs> I said, okay. And I, I immediately thought that he probably did want to share a, a drug or a chemical with me because I had smoked pot cannabis a couple of times previously, but it didn't really have much of an impact on me early on. Okay. So I went over to his How house. How old were you at this time, if you don't mind or, me asking? No, no, no worries. I was about 26, probably oh, okay, 25. Okay. Cool. Right on. <laughs> I went over to his house and... I took ecstasy, and I had what what's generally referred to as a quantum personality shift. Like I completely, I, I had this mantra during the experience, and I kept telling myself, "Man, I I'm a lot smarter than than everyone's ever told me. I'm a lot smarter than I ever thought I was." It's like I accessed a part of my mind that had not previously been accessed, and I realized that I finally have a an a genuine or an authentic appreciation of myself. And I felt for the first time what I can only describe as the sensation of actual or true love for myself. Wow. That's really powerful. (laughs) It was, it it was an amazing eye opening experience. And this is what it did for me. It, it, it said, since it said that I'm a lot smarter than I previously thought I was, I immediately as soon as I was coming down off of the drug, I immediately hopped onto Wikipedia, and this was in the days when Wikipedia, you know, first started. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's only it had only been out a couple of years, it, and I got on there and I read everything about philosophy that I could. I bounced around links. I read a bunch about a bunch of different philosophers. I read about physics, psychology, etc. And the second thing that happened is I went and got a a library card uh, the day after, and immediately checked out a few books from the library. One of the first books, in retrospect, was not a good first book to read in a more optimistic mindset, but I picked up Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil. Okay. And I read I read it, and that probably affected affected me negatively for a time there, but that's a, get, jumping a little bit ahead. So I, I read all these books, and I finally, and I thought to myself, after a couple of days later, I, I'm going to go back to college. I want to get a degree in psychology because this really interested me about the how precarious of a nature the human mind is and mm-hmm. I'm curious about uh, what are the limits of an individual human being being able to wake up come to terms with himself and look at reality under a different light so that that happened fast forward a few years down the road what I started to do was I I, I loved this compound so much that I I started uh, trading it with my friends and, and showing it to giving it to my friends for the per, for the sheer purpose. A lot of people use it as a as a dance drug, right? As a mm-hmm. compound to, to rave all night long. But I, I I loved it more in the intimate environments where you can have one to one connection with people and really 
uh, open up with them, empathize, talk about spiritual matters, talk about psychological, philosophical matters. And so that's what I would do. And eventually it got out of hand, and I let a guy uh, give me a whole bunch of it. Um, but I, uh. I didn't actually – yeah, at the time I didn't realize that it was – that's exactly what it was because – he left a box at my house and gave me a key and said, hey, you help me out. I said, sure, and just let him come and go as he pleased. Anyway, what oh. ended up happening, yeah, yeah, you see where this is going. Yeah. What ended up happening was he he uh, sold some cocaine, which was in the box. I had no idea it was in there, uh. to an undercover cop, right? Mm-hmm. And what they did, like a day after he sold it to an undercover cop, they followed him back to my apartment at the time and immediately got a warrant uh, for his arrest and for uh, a, a basically a no-knock raid oh on, my gosh. on my uh, apartment. Oh, right, my gosh. So the whole uh, – it was the state police, state marshals, city police. Oh, my God. And uh, I want to say that the – one federal agency was involved. Tobacco, alcohol, firearms, I think, was involved to a minor degree. But they all busted up into my house with machine guns. And Are you? Uh, I mean, you're not kidding. I just, no. my jaw is like <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was, it was a full hate, on. Uh, go ahead. No, I can't believe this happens. And just hearing your experience right off the bat, it's like, well, clearly that's why this is illegal. You know, um, it changes things. And so, okay, so continue. You had the, you know, people... <laughs> Uh, what's it called? Breaking and entering into your home. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was uh, sort of how it happened was, I mean, it, it was technically a no knock, but they did knock. But this is this is why it was basically a no knock when they the person who knocked on my door was pretending to be a like an air conditioner man with the apartment complex. OK, so, I, so what, you what happened, didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I had no <laughs> idea it was the cops. Right. Yeah. So in this, had I been armed at the time, that could have been a recipe for disaster because this is how it happened. I opened the door and just cracked it because I, I'm already in a state of, you know, paranoia when it comes to that, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Cracked the door and, you know, how can I help you? And immediately he didn't say anything. He started trying to force his way in. Oh, my gosh. So he's pushing. So I locked up and held the door tight and said, can I help you? And I, at that point, what I thought was happening was I was being robbed by just an everyday street mugger. Uh-huh. I, that would be what, my first thought. <laughs> right. But what ended up happening, it was worse thugs that were coming to steal from me and kidnap me and, and rob me. I would have actually have rather it been a street thug. Yeah, I was honestly. just going to say. <laughs> that would have probably been better. Jeez. So, long story short, what... About that point, I heard footsteps coming up the stairs, and then at that point, I finally hear, you know, state police, but at Uh, that point, the guy had already reached through the door and grabbed me and threw me to the ground and put a gun to my head and said, where are the drugs at? You're going to give them all to us. And At first, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. And then eventually, they they forced me to show them where the drugs were. They put me up to the side, threatened me with 40 or 50 years in prison, and... How are you feeling? Is this, is it just surreal? Like, do you have, like, how are you feeling as this is all happening? (laughs) Right. Uh, Terrified and full full of adrenaline as it's happening. I can't imagine. I responded actually at the time with, with anger and was, uh, I remember sitting handcuffed on my porch 
and I was yelling at them, telling them, you know, you're actually the bad guys. You assholes remember what happened during Prohibition in the 20s? You're the ones who are doing wrong. Wow. And eventually they just told me to shut the hell up. Anyway, I so think they tra- I'm kind of cheering you on for that one, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got pretty aggressive, you know, adrenally fueled defensive. Maybe not the best time and place, but you're right. Right. So anyway, okay. <laughs> so I told them, you know, I, you know, well, at that time, I guess they, they just charged, they charged me with possession of, it ended up being like 27 grams of cocaine, like 400 pills of MDMA, a smorgasbord of other multicolored pills, uh-huh. powders, etc. Hauled me off to jail at that point in time. Luckily, I was able to get off on, uh, I was able to get bailed out, but I think my bond was like, six or seven thousand dollars wow like my family was able to come up with the money and bond me out that's good right and then i had to get the best attorney in town one who you know knew everybody so i could and of course i was terrified that i was going to prison right and i'm sure this was all not cheap (laughs) getting the best attorney in town (laughs) No. all right so you got a good attorney and things ended up kind of in your favor it sounds like or what ended up happening yeah in my favor as much as it could I think I mean I might have done a little bit better but I don't think so what ended up happening was I a year later and that was a tumultuous year because I was replete with fear and anxiety oh I'm sure and it was the worst probably the worst year of my life I would say because it was just it it was constant dealing with attorneys police etc but what what it finally happened in in the long term, the attorney was able to work out a deal where I got ten years deferred adjudication, probation, and technically ten deferred years, adjudic- ten years, right? Deferred adjudication, probation, and now technically, technically, when you get off of deferred adjudication, probation, when you finish that sentence, there is no legal conviction against you, right? You're you're supposed to be, your name's supposed to be cleared. But 10 years? Right. <sighs> that seems like a really long time for a therapeutic pill that helps people. That's right. That's right. Yeah, any amount of time, any any confrontation with the legal system over drugs that results in uh, kidnapping or paper prison, what have you, is way too long. <laughs> it's, uh, I know. It's, uh, are... it's unnecessary. So... Okay, so like what is kind of the solution to moving forward with like, I know you're spreading the message and that's kind of what I'm trying to do with my podcast here, just get things out there, you know, different ways of living. But we have right now, I mean, we just had this crazy election and we have all these people that are genuinely upset about it. And I just like this message needs to get out now more than ever, I'm saying. And so like, can you give us a bit of an overview as to like, what if we move to like a governmentless society, like how do we get away from, you know, these people banging on your door for, like I said, a therapeutic drug? How do we shift from, like, I just don't know how to make this stop right now because I feel like we get one step forward and two steps back in this society. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a great question, Sarah. This is something I've been, you know, wrangling with for the last couple of years, I Yeah, I'm say. sure it's not a answer overnight question, but that's just like, how do we do this? <laughs> right. Well, I think the best the best approach is a multi-pronged approach, right? Many j- different strategies 
to attempt to undermine the legitimacy of the state. And I think it begins with two things in my mind. The main, the main front that I try to tackle is this uh, compassionate and psychological approach as a, as a means to escalating people's urgency for anarchism. And what I mean by this compassionate approach is that we muster all the courage that we can to start to talk to people about anarchism. And this can start with the, the logical arguments for anarchism or for freedom, for creating a completely, totally stateless society. But I think the processes of how we interact with people, if we can demonstrate that we are compassionate, that we're kind, we're decent, and that anarchism is not associated with bombs, bloodshed, Mad Max, and Thunderdome. Yeah, it then, still has that rap, I guess, huh? That's right, that <laughs> negative connotation that is not at all Helpful. relatable to the actual definition of the term, correct? Mm -hmm. So if we can muster this kind of compassion, relate to people with empathy, connect with them, talk to them, that, in my mind, is part of the process for spurring an anarchistic society. But I am not going to say that that is the only method. There's a lot of different people in this space using a lot of different methods, which is a good thing because it goes to show that our, that our movement is growing tenfold and we can just see it online in the ways that government is trying to use information warfare to combat what's going on in terms of this growing or Revolution, rising yeah. Yeah, anarchist, anarchist movement. Yeah, you're right. They are they are fear, fearing it for sure. Um, you know, whether it's like shutting down alternative news sites I've been hearing about, just they're kind of trying to shut down the message. So we do have to be louder and and keep talking and get people to to listen. And I like that you're taking, you know, the compassionate approach, because to me, that's how I got to it. Like how I got to this idea of anarchy. I was like, you know, I'm no different than whoever is getting married in Yemen and I don't think we should bomb them during their wedding, which we did. That happened. And so I'm like, I'm the same as that person or they're the same as me. Obviously, we're completely different, completely different lives and all of that. But we're still humans walking on the planet trying to live our lives. Right. So oh, yeah. I love that. It's just simple to me. And I don't and I don't know why people are, don't see it. And um, I get that, you know, the benefit of community and connecting with people you're close to and your culture and you have similarities to I get the value of like you know bonding groups and stuff so how do we kind of you know go smaller but go bigger at the same time like create smaller communities be closer but keep the whole world in mind that's any a great tips <laughs> yeah that's a that's a great question and I think there's a way that we can unravel that paradox and I think it's through technology actually because technology is creating a situation where we can totally decentralize, move back to smaller communities and locales through a lot of these different, I want to say, collaborative economic ventures that are starting to crop up, mm -hmm. where we can maintain our close, small-knit communities, but we can also reach out globally through social media networks, through other forms of networks, through various communication devices and tactics. And that, that right there, I think, is a, is a way, it's what Marshall McLuhan referred to as the global village, right? So it, ha it has this notion that we're both um, interconnected on a uh, microcosmic level and interconnected on a macrocosmic level mm. via, via technology. And how exactly this is going to play out and expand is really beyond the insight I think that I have. I, and I'm decent with technology, although not my primary focus. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. I think that is probably going to be a big part of it. I don't know. I just... 
I feel like there's so many people still stuck in the, you know, they were playing the left-right game in the election and they see all these problems and I'm like, just kind of look a little bigger or something. How do we, you know, but um, you're right. Technology will, will be helpful as long as we can keep using it as far as like the internet and stuff. I'm just worried about the fake news and stuff that's been happening lately. Have you been following that at all? Yeah, the interesting, I have, the interesting, and I made a couple of posts recently about this, and this goes back to my comment about the so-called information wars. Whenever anarchists or alternative medias crop up and start questioning the validity of government, at first, for government, it's a, oh, this, no one's going to listen to this anyway, this is just a, this is a joke. Who, who in the culture is going to pay attention to this nonsense? Because government institutions, certain elites, and other bureaucrats essentially have control over the mainstream media, you know, mm-hmm. especially through the FCC and other regulatory agencies and devices. So they can maintain essentially what gets put into the mainstream media and that people pay attention to. Well, the beauty of the Internet cropping up is that uh, all these uh, alternative media sources crop up and people can start paying attention to that. So what has essentially happened is now that people are paying attention to these alternative news stations or for I, I want to say a sense of irony. They're sharing these fake news news sites or news sources, you know, legitimately mm-hmm. fake news yeah. sites, news sources as a as a just a sense of irony, just to poke fun at. It. And I'm not saying everyone does that. Some people probably share it because they legitimately think it's true, which to me is also funny and also plays into uh, the anarchists' hands. But they could so to be speak. sharing it like it's like an onion piece or something, right? So now the media is hammering this thing home. Well, all this fake news is coming out. All this fake news is is here, and we need to make sure that you don't pay attention to this. Pay attention to what we have to say. Pay That's attention terrifying, to this. right? So it's um it's a very Orwellian yes. world in the sense that the the government, uh, the elites, and then other special privileged interests want us to pay particular attention. Want people to pay particular attention to these media sources rather than these alternative sources, and they're just using. They're just using the term fake news to encompass it all, really, even though they're they're really wanting to say that it's just strictly fake sources rather than alternative sources. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So it's become like a bigger they're putting everything under fake news when it should be broken down into alternative. Yeah, we'll see. I hope stuff doesn't get shut down. And I've heard people have had trouble sharing stuff on Facebook and all of that. And I'm like, oh, I hope this isn't true. But uh, right. I haven't had any personal problems yet, but I also have been busy and I haven't been sharing much. So we'll see. But so we kind of have a bit of like Stockholm syndrome or something going on in this country, though, because like I mentioned, like some people are just they're so upset about this election one way or the other, or they're really happy. I don't know, just very emotional responses. And so um, I was actually watching like a rerun of Seinfeld the other day, and he made a joke about the government is just parents for adults. And I was like, (laughs) yep, I totally agree. And so I'm like, what is it like the need that people, where does this need come from that people have, that they want to have rulers? Because some people do. And if we'd move to an anarchist society, should we still provide some sort of ruler for those people who want them? (laughs) Right, right. This is how I sort of view it. I don't know that necessarily all people want a ruler. I think people want leaders. I just think okay. people imagine or see the rulers that we do have. The honest way to look at politicians and bureaucrats and other elites are as 
rulers. Rulers, but they see them as leaders. That's right. They see them as leaders because they are totally detached from the violence that they do to people, right? The whole, one of the goals of government, one of the primary functions of government is to keep the populace indoctrinated via this, this information warfare that we talked about and make sure that people aren't thinking outside the scope that government is their benefactor, right? They're going to they're, they're gonna help you, they give to you. And so the idea that government does, does violence is totally detached from their mm. worldview unless they're able to break through the propaganda and going back full circle, you know, either through the ecstasy or psychedelic You're drug right. experience, right? Through some other, and, and other people go about it different ways through reading. Uh, certain people like to read and they Cannabis to, was the big uh, one for me. So, absolutely. And it was... I mean, what, how I felt under the influence of it, and then also, why is this illegal? I do not trust you at all. <laughs> I was right. like, cutting ties. You're not, you're not telling me what's best for me anymore. Got this Abs- one wrong. <laughs> absolutely. And, and I do want to make a point clear, though. Some people may interpret that it's this discussion we're having as some vast conspiracy theory where we need to put on our tinfoil hats. Yeah, you're and, right. But, but the, the truth of the matter is, is that we can look directly at government and their actions actual evidence and we know that these individuals are not here for the greater good they are not nice to us they want to commit but i mean we know right away the united states has the largest prison population i'm talking about the united states quote-unquote government politicians Mm -hmm. have the the largest prison population as you mentioned earlier the uh, in the war in the middle east Thousands and thousands of innocent people have been murdered by drone bombing campaigns, especially as it was escalated by the Obama administration. It and, makes uh, me physically ill when I read oh, those I'm, stories. I, I'm telling you. And and people, they get into this, and a lot of them get into this mindset, this tribalistic mindset that we have to, that we, quote unquote, we come mm. together <laughs> to have to battle the, these evil forces over overseas that requires these drone bombing campaigns and just requires wiping out the uh, everyone that exists for the most part in the Middle East. At least that's what some people tend. You know, they make mm-hmm. these 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 half-hearted jokes about nuking the Middle East, etc. It, it just this this insanity, this complete maliciousness, where people aren't even actually thinking about what they're saying. They're not even considering the sanctity of life when they consider this stuff and sure that's not to say that everybody over there is a is a you know just a a good person and doesn't have murderous or psychopathic instincts absolutely that's the case but when you clump everybody in in this tribalistic mindset that is a formula for disaster right for for committing genocide etc i hear you and do you think that like sports and just other things that we're naturally presented with kind of fuel that tribal nature or that us against them rivalry type of thing just on a smaller scale because I feel like we're indoctrinated with that like I mean the NFL and the military kind of go hand in hand sometimes with like advertising and recruitment you know yeah that's a great that's a great thought actually and I've considered that because I actually don't watch any kind of sports whatsoever my wife and I I don't enjoy it and I think that that's, there's probably some truth to that because it does keep up the rivalrous mindset that people have, the us versus them mentality, mm-hmm. so that it can be applied on a larger scale after the fact. And I don't know, there's a, uh, it's a cultural thing, of course, that has to do with the way that people are brought up. So there's that either 
face value indoctrination or subtle indoctrination that applies to people, and then they start to spread that notion as they grow up or share that with people. And yeah, I think that makes sense. It's a it's just a form of propaganda one way or another through via sports. I can ruin all the fun. I'm like, it's all propaganda. No, it's not. Then, <laughs> then we're going to go into the conspiracy stuff. But I just right. kind of think like sometimes I'm like, all right, so we've got like these rivalries and stuff, you know, even going back, you know, a long time ago, we did, you know, in the Coliseum or something, they had rivalries. Like people just have always had rivalries and duels and stuff amongst their towns and their people. And like we, it is like, I always fight. I'm like, is it just a part of human nature? Can we truly evolve beyond this? Because honestly, when I was a kid and I found out war existed, I was like, oh, thank God we're not doing that anymore. And then like, a year later, I found out we were in the Gulf War or something. I was like, oh, oh shit, yeah. we didn't learn. And I, it, it just blew my mind that this could even be a thing. And I don't know, maybe I'm just an alien or somebody that's not on the right planet because I'm like, I don't see why this is even a thing. So I don't know if we can evolve beyond it. But um, I mean, it's crazy to think, but I'm like, I just still want to see world peace in my lifetime. Right, right. Yeah, and and I'm with you. I constantly ask myself that too. Is it possible we can move beyond that? And I strongly believe that we can because there's this idea you mentioned, and a lot of people parrot it that this is that human nature. This may be mm -hmm. a dictum, human nature. But I think that more so than human nature, it's just it's how culture has human presented conditioning. itself. That's right. That's that's that, that's right. It's learning. It's the way that people are taught. They grow up. They're conditioned. They're in, they're incult enculturated to believe that these ideas are true. But people like us are able to start to get outside of that mold to want to, as Terrence McKenna said, create our own culture. Mm -hmm. Right? Don't play into the hands of the people who want to manufacture our consent. Right? So you kind of sound right like there, him now that you mention it. <laughs> you brought him up and I was like when you were saying that, I was like you sound kind of just like him <laughs> the funny thing the funny thing is you mentioned that when I was a little younger right after I did all the you know I was really involved in the ecstasy underworld if mm -hmm. you will the MDMA and psychedelic underworld I studied him quite a bit read three of his books watched like all of his videos <laughs> so I'm sure he's influenced a, you for sure but it's just as soon as you said that I was like oh my gosh you sound just like him <laughs> quite a bit I love so, Terrence McKenna I mean yeah that's very great, profound stuff. I found like um, there's a podcast that is a bunch of his old talks, and I just went through listening to them at work years ago, like over, like one after the other. So I'm sure you kind of went down through all those too. But I forget what the name of the podcast, the guy who was putting them up, but he had such a good, like, he, oh, he had so many of them. So nice. Good resource yeah. is what I'm saying, but I can't remember the name of them. So anyway, so peaceful revolution. I guess it's possible in terms of if we keep talking. And all of that, um, I've just, you know, people want to keep their guns and all this stuff or, you know, if they, they turn on the government, but I really hope it doesn't get to that point. I really hope we can, you know, change people's minds through these conversations, start setting up communities where we don't need the government, start setting up, you know, like, and it is kind of already happening. We've got like Uber and stuff taking over and I guess um, we're on the right track as a society, but dang, this election really threw me for a loop just seeing everyone's reactions. Mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa, I thought kind of more people were up on the, the anarchy thing. And so now I'm like, I just got to get this out there. Um, one other thing I want to talk about real quick and then um, probably have to let you go, but I wanted to talk about Aleppo. Have you watched, have you been following that at all? 
I've been following it somewhat. I'm it not. Sounds like we're getting I, two I, I sides of the story here. Like, right. From what I can tell, I'm hearing. Um, you know, it sounds just tragic, and then other people are cheering and the streets and they're happy and I don't know. So I was just kind of wondering if you had any insight on that, but if you don't, that's fine. We can skip over it. I was just really looking for information because I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's not something that I think I'm, I have enough information to speak on. I've just read a little bit about it. I just know that any, I guess I always approach anything that's happening in the middle East, especially as it is translated through media as probably a lie. So that's one of the reasons I try not to, I don't pay as close attention to it as I probably should. Although I did put yeah, start paying that's how obviously I feel, close. But right. Yeah, so, well, that's okay. We don't need to talk about it then. Um, I do have a personal question for you, if you don't mind. Um, you're married, correct? Correct. I'm curious if you are like government legally married, and how you feel um, about that. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> well, to, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll be honest with you. We are government legally married, but we at first we de we were debating on whether or not to go that route. Yeah, cause and it's, it's just something I personally go back and forth with. But I'm just curious. <laughs> right, right. No, it's not something that it's something that in in retrospect we we debated on whether just getting a divorce for the sake of just setting up a private contract it was something we made sort of on mm. the spur of the moment. Okay. And, but but. There is a sort of a good side to to be getting married legally, you know, within the context of the system. That is, you do get stolen less from. I was wondering, end, yeah. That's kind of yeah. like the only reason so to do it. <laughs> yeah, so there's a practical reason there, of course. And there's also a, the, the reason is less important, I guess, but for appearances might be a, to play into it. But we have just debated and discussed, it, you know, whether to just make it, a, a private contract rather than a legal public contract, which is doable. Okay. But, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I was just kind of curious because well, I was like, he's all anarchy, but I noticed he said he was married in one of his videos or something or on your Facebook. And I was like, hmm, because yeah, I just, some days I'm like, no, it's just one more thing, one more way for the government to know more about me. And then other days I'm like, well, it's what it is, you know? So I'm like, how much do I need to be fighting the system every single day? <laughs> Well, I do want to speak to that a little bit here for a moment, if you don't mind. I'm not the type of – there's a lot of anarchists who are who claim to be really strict uh, in accordance to principles, and that is we don't you, we don't use the government for anything at all. We, we, do, we don't play into the system, but of course we all know that's impossible. That's like a, like a serf or like a slave during antebellum slavery who mm -hmm. sleeps on the – his bunk and eats the gruel. It's like, well, you're playing into the system. Right. You know, you're you're eating your master's gruel and laying on his bed. That must mean you like it and enjoy it. Obviously, but, okay. Obviously, yeah. that's that's not the case. The slave is still a slave, e even if he mentally protests or does whatever else he can to protest against his servitude. So I think we're all going to use the state to some degree. Every job that I've ever worked at has been involved with the state to some degree or other. I worked for Walmart as an assistant store manager. Mm -hmm. Walmart is intimately involved with government, working with government. I, I just it, It's impossible to completely divorce oneself from the system that we find ourselves in. Right. So the best way, in my opinion, to alter said system is to do what we can to start changing people's minds. So education, of course, in the compassionate vector 
is how we go about doing that. And if a person wants to play into the system or use it, that's their own personal or particular strategy. Uh, my, my goal is just to use it as as less as I possibly can, as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. But if there's something I have to have, uh, there's a there's a likelihood that I would that I would take it. But for the record, I don't take any kind of subsidies or anything like that, like as far as food stamps or anything yeah, like no, that. Of yeah. course. Yeah, me neither. So I and that's kind of where I lie. But um, I like that approach because sometimes I do. I feel a lot of pressure to you know live this pure anarchist lifestyle or something as an example. Yeah, but it's Im- it's impossible mm-hmm. in the society we live in. And so right. Yeah, kind of like you're at least drive on the roads. I mean, you're going to at least travel right. to public property yeah, at some point. It's exactly. just impossible. And then people, because people, that's what people always get you back with. They're like, "Well, you have to drive on the roads." I'm like, "But it's not like you don't understand the bigger picture. It's not like just because I drive on the roads means I want the government to be the one building them. They don't do a very good job. Like, right? I have potholes right. Just all because over I eat my the gruel, <laughs> just because I eat the gruel and pick the cotton doesn't mean I want to be a slave. Okay, so thank you. I like that. That makes me feel a little bit better. So. I'm going to keep chugging along with my podcast and um, I really appreciate all the work you've been doing. Your Facebook page is quite the following over there, but um, where all can folks find you? Sure. Okay. So I've got a, I've got several places here. The main, the main place is my Facebook page, Sterling Lujan, L-U-X-A-N. And then my actual web page is www.psychologic-anarchist.com. And then over on YouTube, it's, under, I believe it's under psychologic-anarchist as well on it YouTube. It is, and you can find it if you yeah. search for that. So, <laughs> Correct. I'm also on Steemit. It's Steemit. Oh, what is that? And I don't, I don't know the direct... It's a blockchain-based uh, media uh, or social media network okay. where you can sort of pay to, uh, get paid to, to post. Really? In, in cryptocurrency. Correct. Oh, I'm going to check that Steemit. out. Sure. S-T-E-E-M-I-T. Okay. Dot com. I'm over there on Steemit. Oh, yeah, and also on Facebook. My main Facebook page is Psychologic-Anarchist, of course, and I have about, almost 45,000 followers on that page. That's so awesome. probably the largest. Yeah, I, I found that. Like I said, I found your video first, and then I, of course, found the Facebook page not too long after that. But um, I would just, even the name of it that you went with was perfect, because as soon as I saw it, I was like, yes, I'm interested in that, because... And then I was so happy to hear like you're taking, you know, just the compassionate route, because I think, like I said, that is what's missing. I was talking to um, my partner earlier today and he was like, yeah, that's what keeps me from it sometimes. Like being fully immersed is like you don't get the compassion and the caring for the community. I'm like, yeah, but we can, you know, we're going to get there and we're going to share how we can do that. So I really appreciate you sharing all of this and taking that route. And thank you so much for being on today. Oh yeah, no problem, Sarah. Thank you for having me. We'll have to do it again sometime. 